0: Welcome to Season 2 of Talking PFAS. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. I recommend that you have a listen to Season 1 to catch up on some of the foundational chats we had about PFAS. I'm your host, Kayleen Bell. As listeners of the podcast would already know, the communities of Williamtown, New South Wales, Oakey, Queensland and Catherine in the Northern Territory have been contaminated with PFAS, due to firefighting activities on nearby Defence Force bases. These three communities are all involved in class actions against the Department of Defence. Defence has listed 27 sites where PFAS investigations have been completed or are ongoing. In December 2016, the Australian Government Department of Health commissioned the Australian National University in Canberra to undertake independent study on the health effects of PFAS in Williamtown and Oakey. In May 2018, Catherine was added to the epidemiological study, the PFAS Health Study. The first phase of the PFAS Health Study has been completed, which was a literature review. And I covered that in episode five of Talking PFAS. One component of phase two of the PFAS Health Study was to conduct focus groups in Williamtown, Oki and Catherine. The ANU officially released the Focus Group Study Report on March 19. This report details the experiences and emotions of people who have been affected by the PFAS contamination. Today's episode is a discussion with Professor Kathy Banwell, a co-investigator on the PFAS Health Study and the lead of the Focus Group Study. As Professor Banwell only had time for a quick interview today and did not give a lot of detail of what was in the report, I will also be reading some information from the focus group study report and put a link to this in the show notes. Before we hear the interview with Professor Banwell, I'm going to play a short piece from my interview with Professor Martin Kirk from Episode 5 of Talking PFAS. Professor Martin Kirk is from the ANU Canberra, and is the Principal Investigator for the PFAS Health Study. He'll give some context about how the focus group study report fits with the rest of their work.
1: So phase two has four different components. So firstly there is some focus groups which we've run in the three communities. There's three communities we've been commissioned to work in which is Williamtown, New South Wales, Oakey, Queensland and Catherine Northern Territory. These focus groups are where we bring groups of affected residents together and they can talk about their experience, their lived experience of anything that relates to their health or their wellbeing. We have questions in those sessions that we use to direct the conversation, but largely it's about listening to communities' voices. And we put out advertisements to local community members through the action groups in the newspapers and we held them in public places and people had to register and including we were able to do some focus groups in Aboriginal communities in Catherine which there hasn't been a lot of engagement with. Their issues are often things like what can we eat, can we swim in the river, they're the things that they would normally want to do but they're being told they can't so you have to then go what is safe and what is not safe and they haven't necessarily got good information about that but I think there's been a lot of effort from government trying to do that. It's just a difficult process. Mm. We ran between five and six in each community and we had really great engagement and really the, the residents were fantastic at sharing their views and, you know, we heard all of the same things that we've seen in the media and we've seen in some of the Senate inquiries but it was certainly a really... From our perspective, we were able to hear what their concerns were and what kind of social issues that they were having and health issues. The focus groups is the first of the four components. The other three components I should mention, firstly we have the cross-sectional survey, which is a survey of residents. They'll be sampled and anyone who's participated in the voluntary blood testing program that the Federal Department of Health has organised will get an opportunity to participate in that that's really going to be looking at the level of psychological distress in the community, the kind of self-reported health concerns that people have and also their likely exposures. There's also the blood testing so we're making use of anyone who's given blood through the voluntary blood testing program and we'll also be collecting further samples and comparing those to people in areas outside of the investigation zones. The final component is a data linkage study where we'll be looking at people who've ever lived in these investigation zones and comparing rates of some types of cancers and other health outcomes with people who haven't lived in those zones. So I think there's lots of difficulties but that is certainly going to be I would hope one of the more telling types of studies. It certainly worked extremely well with the asbestos health study. We were able to link the Medicare back files to the cancer registries around Australia and we were able to look at people who lived in these affected homes because you can imagine in someone like Canberra, they move on, they get diagnosed with cancer somewhere else. So you couldn't just do a study looking at ACT residents, you had to do the whole of Australia. And I'm hoping we'll be able to do that here in these three communities. We will get the Medicare data back files to, to see anyone who's ever lived in these investigation zones and compare it to the areas around it And we'll be able to look at rates of cancer for people who've lived in those areas, like very specific areas, like we're talking about individual addresses, not broad areas that aren't part of the investigation zones. And we'll be able to compare that to people who live outside. So that gives us a more robust comparison. Hopefully that will contribute some data to the overall picture, but I also hope it will provide some level of certainty for residents as well.
0: Now to my interview with Professor Cathy Banwell from the Australian National University in Canberra. Could I just uh, ask you about the focus group report released in February?
2: When did that come out in February? Well, in fact, the full report was published actually on Tuesday because we worked in two communities first and then only later was uh, we were invited to work in the third community. So it's It's been staggered, but the final report for all three communities was actually out Tuesday. So what was the date of that? So it was 19th of March,
0: 2019. What I'm looking at is the PFAS Health Study Component 1 Oakey, Williamtown and Catherine Focus Group Study. Yes, that's right. So it says February, but it actually came out in March.
2: Yes, well, we... Finished writing it, but it, um, it's it's been officially released now. So there was a bit of a delay. Who funded this study? So this study was funded by the Department of Health, but it was an independent study. The Federal Department of Health. Yes. Independent, meaning? Meaning that we designed the study, etc., and conducted it. I guess they
0: would review it before it was published.
2: Yes, they reviewed it. They reviewed the document, but they. You know, they left our findings standing.
0: They didn't make any changes?
2: No, or, you know, minor edits, that's all. Will the
0: transcripts or audio recordings from these focus groups ever be made public?
2: No, they won't be. No, we, we did not agree to do that.
0: Unless they're subpoenaed in the
2: court case. That's what I read. Okay, well, yes, but that. I mean, we're not making them public otherwise.
0: And I imagine media, I can't get a copy of the transcripts or can I? No, you can't. Some media might access through Freedom of Information. I guess so. In the confidentiality section of the report, it says only members of the research team will have access to the data. It is possible that transcripts from the focus group discussions may be subpoenaed as part of legal actions related to PFAS litigations. The audio recorded discussions were saved in secure files and transcribed by a professional transcribing service the professional transcribing services staff signed an ANU deed poll agreeing to confidentiality. Focus group members were asked to maintain the confidentiality of group discussions. Participants were asked to use pseudonyms.
2: Also, the people in the focus groups were anonymised. So why wouldn't you release transcripts
0: to media even if they're anonymised?
2: I I think even so, that's the nature of the discussion groups was this is, you know, this is confidential, this is in-house. We were careful about how making people feel as though they could speak safely.
0: What was your involvement in this focus groups study?
2: Well, I basically, I'm a qualitative researcher. I've done lots of focus group studies. So I led the focus group studies in the, each of these three communities. But this is As you know, only one part of a a bigger health study.
0: How many focus groups were conducted?
2: Uh, We did 12 focus groups in Oakey, Williamtown and Catherine. Those 12 focus groups had 111 participants. Four
0: focus group discussions were held in each community, with 36 participants in Oakey, Queensland, 46 participants in Williamtown, New South Wales and 29 participants in Catherine, Northern Territory. We will hear some of the concerns from these communities later in the episode.
2: And then we did an additional three focus groups or community discussions, they were actually a little bit different, in three Aboriginal communities on the outskirts of Catherine. How were they different? They were different because they were organised in conjunction with um, an Indigenous elder and they were held on the communities rather than in town centres and so on. Um, They were, I guess, a looser sort of meeting.
0: As stated in the report, the three Aboriginal focus group discussions were conducted over two days in three communities on the outskirts of Catherine and consisted of 69 adult participants, mostly women. In the Aboriginal communities, participants appeared confused and uncertain about PFAS on their environment. The item of information that most people were aware of was that they should only eat one fish a day because the river and the fish in it were contaminated by PFAS. They understood that it may be detrimental to their health if they consumed greater quantities than this. Previously, they had fished frequently in the river and often consumed large quantities and varieties of fish, mullet, brim, barramundi, Jewfish and catfish, turtles and their eggs, shellfish and crocodiles. They also sought information about the effect of PFAS on bush tucker, bush meat and local plants that would have been in contact with river or bore water. They had a strong attachment to and concern for their country. The river was central to many of their activities and recreation, with a person commenting that the river is our life. Members of the Aboriginal communities said because they did not feel comfortable attending community information sessions, they had not received information disseminated in these settings. Most participants had not participated in the voluntary blood testing program for PFAS that was freely available to the Aboriginal population through the Worley-Worlingjang Aboriginal Health Service. The the service had previously reported that a small but steady trickle of people were obtaining blood tests. There were suggestions from some participants that the health service should visit the communities to organise blood testing because some people wanted to know their PFAS levels, though found the journey to town difficult.
2: Uh, Basically, we were very much led by the Aboriginal collaborator about how they should be held, when they should be held, what would work best for people.
0: Were you actually present at all of the focus groups?
2: Yes, I was. What was the purpose of the focus groups? Well, the purpose of the focus groups was to really understand the viewpoints and experiences of people who lived in these communities and what their perceptions were of the health and other risks that they might have been uh, that they thought might have arisen from exposure, we wanted this obviously to be useful information to help uh, policymakers and so on um, respond, and the important point for us was also to um, inform the next stage of the health study. And the next phase is well, it's part of the epidemiological study it's it's to send out a questionnaire uh, which will go to Members of all three communities, asking them more information about their health and so on in a much more detailed and systematic way.
0: Did you hold a focus group for defence force participants in Catherine, Oakey, and Williamtown? Were they separate to the community?
2: Yeah, we did. We held a special one for them because we thought that they may not, uh, they may have different perspectives than the rest of the community. And did they? Yeah, they did, to some extent.
0: Separate focus group discussions were held in Oakey, Catherine and Williamtown for defence staff, contractors and family members.
2: I think um, one of the differences was that they had probably been more directly involved with PFAS because some of them had lived on bases and so on.
0: Were their concerns high? Were their concerns
2: for their health high? Um, Yeah, some were, some weren't. They tended to take a sort of a slightly more technological view of it. Some of them worked with quite a lot of toxic chemicals anyway, so they were used to handling and thinking about these things.
0: Some Defence Force members considered that they were as negatively affected by PFAS as community members because they had higher levels of exposure but felt that they received less sympathy and understanding. However, they also recognised that they were unaffected by financial problems that community members were experiencing and that if they were to develop health problems that could be attributed to their work, these would be covered financially.
2: It varied between each place a little bit. I remember some people said they were concerned about how they were, you know, they were just kind of labelled as Defence Force and and others um, said that, they didn't find that to be the case. There was quite a lot of, you know, variation about that.
0: The report says they were also more aware of the potential health risks of chemical exposures due to their professional training and they tended to contextualise and diminish the immediate risks. The report notes, though they had an allegiance to fellow Defence Force members and took pride in their work... Defence Force members were critical about a lack of information about PFAS and poor communication from senior Defence Force members. Several group members said they were cynical about the Defence Force response to PFAS and suggested that transparency was not part of the organisational culture. Nevertheless, they strenuously defended their base commanders and the use of PFAS on bases in previous decades because the health effects were unknown at the time, and it was a very effective product. But they also expressed a feeling of, um, some of them expressed a feeling of being considered bad neighbours.
2: I think once again, because there were different relationships, some people lived in the communities, some people lived out of the communities, but just worked on the basis. So that varied quite a bit too.
0: The report also states that PFAS raised a difficult situation for some Defence Force personnel who were concerned because they felt they were viewed negatively by the affected communities or treated as a bad neighbour. They were concerned that PFAS contamination had damaged the reputation of the Defence Force personnel. But also, I note here that it says some participants from the Defence Force observed that the focus group discussions were the first time that they had had an opportunity to express their opinions and concerns. Did you find that surprising?
2: Um, I don't know. Well, in fact, I think I have to make a, a difference here. Some people, and it wasn't just Defence Forces, a number of people said that even though there'd been lots of community meetings, these were the first times where they felt, in a sense, they had the opportunity to kind of lead a discussion and talk about it in the way that, um, I guess, suited them. Because, obviously, these sorts of discussions are very different from town meetings and so on
0: one more thing was about defence but it was a comment about they still wanted to be included in epidemiological studies or have their own do you remember where that was
2: Uh, no I can't remember exactly where it was but I do remember that um, because they were pointing out that they'd been involved some people have been on the base from the sort of early days of PFAS and so on. so they just pointed out that in a sense they perhaps had more longer exposure than perhaps other people. So they suggested that they would be a good group to study because of that. The report
0: states under the Defence Force Participants section that many, but not all, were concerned about their long-term health and strongly supported the idea of conducting epidemiological studies on Defence Force personnel.
2: I remember that conversation. As I said, it was related to the fact that they... I mean, they're a bit like firefighters and so on. They've had, a, they've got, you know, they've they've got a, a level of exposure that is different from that in the community, and they presumably have had a different level of exposure to PFAS.
0: But do you think that you'll be doing any study on the defence communities, or applying to do that?
2: Um, well, defence community members are included in all our aspects of the study, and obviously, as the study as it's going on, but. Probably what it's worthwhile remembering is MRC have just put out a call for further studies.
0: Okay, just for PFAS in health
2: studies? Yeah, so there's a targeted call by the National Health and Medical Research Council for further studies into PFAS and um, and there'll be um, no doubt a range of researchers across the country will put in applications and they may well do all sorts of things.
0: I haven't read the whole report, but just looking through it quickly today, seems to be very focused on the psychological aspects that people have been dealing with because of PFAS. Would that be correct in saying that?
2: Yes and no. We took a very broad definition of health, so not just direct physical health. Um, And people did talk about their physical health, but what they then very often Reverted to was talking about these more immediate things. So, one of the ways in which I started each focus group was to say I just went around the group and said, "Tell me what what you think's the what's your major issue?" You know, and very often they'd say, "Oh, I'm really concerned about my health," or "I'm concerned about the health of my children," or or whatever. But then they would talk about at a much more immediate level, um, you know, issues around all the other things that are in the report which might be to do with communicating and just how stressed and upset it made them feel. So that's one of the reasons why there is quite a strong sort of psychological component to it because um, people did say that they were they were stressed, they were anxious, they were concerned, etc.
0: Most focus group participants were concerned about the potential health risks of exposure to PFAS for their families and specifically for their children. Parents reported feeling guilt related to exposing their children to the PFAS chemicals. One person said, I don't have the right to contaminate my grandkids. Participants were worried about the onset of cancers and the aggravation of existing health conditions. Although most people were worried about their physical health, their immediate focus was on their stress, anger and negativity related to current situation. Participants primarily associated their stress, anxiety and anger with uncertainty over long-term health prospects and with disruptions to their social relationships and their financial circumstances. It further states in the report that many referred to psychological stress and anxiety related to the lengthy duration of PFAS contamination and uncertainty with respect to health outcomes as well as implications for their current and future financial status. Many referred to feeling trapped or stuck. So if you were to say what the key findings were, is it just what's in your conclusion? Because it's very small.
2: Uh, well, the con- well, I guess the conclusion itself is pretty small. I mean, I'd say probably if you had a look at the lay summary at the front or the plain language summary.
0: Participants voiced concerns related to their health and PFAS exposure. Participants were particularly concerned about the onset of cancers and the deterioration of existing health conditions. Another major concern for many participants was the stress and anxiety related to the duration of the PFAS contamination and uncertainty with respect to the long-term impact on health, specifically for their children. Aboriginal participants were worried about the health of their children, contamination of river foods… And bush tucker and the overall impacts on country. Many participants were concerned about continuation of uncertainty and feeling unable to sell their property, being stuck in their community, and lacking options to move on.
2: Obviously, people had concerns about their physical health, people had concerns um, about a range of other sort of everyday issues that they felt affected the quality of their life one of the things that was said not by everyone but many people was that they felt stuck and they couldn't move on and I say that because one of the key differences in the Indigenous communities was people said this is our land we wouldn't want to move on so people in those communities were much less concerned about say property values and so on
0: right so were you just quoting things from the executive summary just then
2: no not, well, no, not all of them, but, but they're in the main part of the, re- the report.
0: I know, it's just better if you say what you consider to be the key things rather than me. And if there was anything that you could say was very similar amongst the communities, that would be helpful?
2: Well, um, I think I've highlighted the things that were similar, which was concerns about physical health and long-term health, uncertainty, about their health and stress related to their uh, the effect on people's lives on their livelihood, there was some um, concern about how people received the information, how they interacted with various outside experts, etc. Are
0: you on page eight or are you just remembering it
2: um, I'm just remembering it. they were concerned about their Health and particularly their children's health, their physical health. They, in some communities, there'd been outbreaks, um, there'd been clusters of cancers and so on, and people were concerned that this might be due to PFAS. They didn't know, but in the meantime, with that sitting over them, they were then concerned about property values, about the stress of dealing with it, the frustrations they felt. But I will also say this was certainly not everyone, because there were in most of the communities there were some people who thought a better approach was to say very little about PFAS because they were concerned that it might have a it might stigmatise the town, it might stop people from visiting, etc. Are you talking about Oki when you say that, or because I know Oki's is very divided? Well, Oakie was one community, that was like that, but uh, there, there were elements of this in all three communities, but probably to a lesser extent, yeah.
0: But Williamtown, Saltash and Fullerton Cove, from my experience, are a pretty tight community, not really open to much division.
2: Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. But, um, I mean, it, Catherine, um, there was a... I wouldn't say as strong as Oakie, but Catherine, there was a bit of concern uh, about their... Tourist industry?
0: Because it's major up there, isn't it, of course? Yes. The report states the Williamtown community appeared relatively united in their concern about PFAS contamination. They had attracted considerable media and were well known by other PFAS affected communities for their outspoken statements about PFAS. Many of Catherine's residents had moved to the area for the lifestyle it offered and proximity to nature. Non-Aboriginal and Aboriginal residents expressed a strong attachment to land, country and the river in particular. Concern for the reputation of the town and potential impact on tourism on which many Catherine residents rely, has led to differences of opinion in the community about how vocal they should be about the PFAS contamination. But definitely, from what I understand, Oki has got a, a very strong level of community division. I've heard this from people and I heard it at the parliamentary inquiry as well. Did you find that?
2: Um, look, there, there were there were... There were people with different views on how to respond to it, I think.
0: I was just interested to see if you found that in your sessions.
2: Look, there were brief moments of frustration by individuals that very quickly, I'd say the group basically prevailed. Yeah. Okay.
0: Was that in all communities though, um, Cathy, or was that just in the Oki community?
2: Um. Look, it it's look, I can't talk about the communities as a whole. I can talk about the focus groups because the focus groups don't represent the communities. What do you what
0: do you mean the focus groups in each community represent that community, don't they?
2: No, they're not representative as such. They're the people who choose to come along and and depending on the composition of the focus group, I mean in some places it was clear that, you know, a, a group of people uh, might have come together. So you might get... So there might have been a diversity of opinions between focus groups, but not within them.
0: In regards to Oki, on page 19, the report states, town residents were concerned about the economic viability of the township as a separate issue from the management of land and agricultural produce. For these Oakey residents... The discussion about PFAS echoed the largest struggle that many small rural communities experience to remain viable. On the town outskirts, rural producers were concerned with financial problems related to managing their property. These varied perspectives and interests contributed to intense debate within the community about how they should respond to the PFAS contamination. Oki residents saw PFAS as a problem that had been imposed upon them, but they differed about whether the story should be broadcast to attract a government response or compensation or suppressed to attract businesses and new residents. Did you find that Oki Catherine Williamtown, did you find those groups were amenable or were they was there one or two that stood out to you as being very tense?
2: I would say look, it I'd say overall all the groups went um, well and I think people people. I mean people actually sometimes enjoyed discussing these issues.
0: Can we just go to page twenty five on blood tests? I'll just read it out to you, this bit here. They discussed how PFAS levels in affected residents' blood did not always seem to align with the measures of PFAS in environmental tests. And some people found that the produce from their property showed high PFAS measures while their own blood tests were low or vice versa. I just found that confusing. And there's no examples there in that whole blood section.
2: Well, it was one of the topics that people found interesting and they themselves found it confusing was that exactly as it says. Sorry, Kathy, it's not very clear. Could you just explain that a little bit? Well, some people might have been had properties where there were high levels of PFAS recorded in the soil that they themselves didn't have particularly high levels or vice versa. Some people had low levels and high levels in their properties, So it, they didn't always align and obviously um people themselves found it a little bit confusing
0: i see so what you're saying is like their property might have tested high for contamination but their bloods were low yes, or or, the or, traversa, or their yes. bloods were high and their property was low
2: yeah this is a focus group discussion so people were if you like offering examples so this this can no way be taken as a generalizable statement people were trying to understand Um, the relationship between their blood tests and PFAS in the environment and, and it didn't always match up to their expectations.
0: The report says participants in all three locations questioned the measurements of PFAS levels in water and soil along with the way in which the tests were conducted. They discussed how the PFAS levels in affected residents' blood did not always seem to align with the measure of PFAS in environment tests. Some people found that the produce from their property showed high PFAS measures while their own blood tests were low or vice versa. They reported that these discrepancies added a further layer of confusion. Furthermore, members of community action groups and other community members compared their results and discussed discrepancies among themselves, thus amplifying uncertainty in the community. A repeated concern was was how to interpret and respond to the results of blood tests, particularly if they showed high levels of PFAS. One of the great sources of stress expressed by participants was high PFAS blood levels in children and themselves, and not knowing what this meant for future health outcomes. Participants in the three communities were deeply concerned that they had increased their children's risk of developing diseases, including cancer, into the future. They were also worried about contracting serious health conditions themselves in the future through exposure with PFAS. Some questioned whether their own or their family members' current health problems were caused or exacerbated by exposure to PFAS. Williamtown participants referred to what they suspected was a cancer cluster several times, which had occurred in a specific geographical location in the PFAS investigation area there was a strongly voiced perception among participants that this cluster was due to the PFAS exposure. Male participants in Williamtown mentioned testicular cancer as a risk of PFAS exposure with several reports of the disease in the community.
2: These are focus group discussions. That, so a basic tenet of focus group discussions is that they're not based on numbers particularly. So you're trying to report on what people... On the on on the sorts of things that people are saying, but you know, it's not based on well, you know, every person in the focus group said this, therefore we're going to report it because it it's about trying to give an idea of the range of things that people discussed. There were some things in the focus groups where people were more in agreement than others, but as I said, these are focus groups; they're not representative. And this is one of the reasons why the next part of the study is a questionnaire, which is much more generalisable. It's a wider sample, and because it's a questionnaire, you've got six questions, and so you, you know, people either go answer yes or no, or tick a box or something like that, whereas focus groups are really about a discussion.
0: The Australian Government now has recommendations from two PFAS inquiries conducted in 2015 and 2018 they are yet to respond to the recommendations from the 2018 inquiry. The ANU focus group study report provides more detail to inform their understanding and hopefully their response to communities who have been affected by living in areas contaminated by PFAS. Okay, is there anything else you want to add about the focus group reports? Uh, no, I think that's it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please download and share so more people can hear this. In February, I went to visit a few residents in Oakey who shared their own personal stories of how living with PFAS contamination on and around their properties has affected them. Next episode, I will bring you David and Diane's personal story. And as Australia heads into a federal election in May, they had this to say to the current government.
2: I want to see at the moment Bill Shorten put in writing because he's fair chance he's going to be the next Prime Minister. I want to see Labor put in writing what they are going to do for me the moment they win the election. And if they don't win the election, I want to ask Scott Morrison why the hell he hasn't dealt with this now. If he's trying to push forward like he's doing at the moment, and I think he's not doing a bad job, but deal with this big issue in Australia, which is PFAS.
1: We have the polluter investigating the polluter. We have the parliamentarians, some of them been there a long time in parliament, that have had these secrets in the back of the head for a long time. They could actually come out and say, this needs fixing and do it. But this is a problem that they've kept away from the Australian people. So at the end of the day, I just ask those people to start having a look into their conscience and are they doing the right thing, what they're paid to do? And they're paid to do is sort out problems. And this is their problem. It's no one else's problem. This is a government problem. This is a government contamination. The government have done it. And the government withheld the information from the Australian people. So that's all I've got to say.
0: Thank you once again for listening to Talking PFAS and feel free to leave a review on iTunes. Thanks very much. See you next time. All the information and audio in today's episode is copyright. Please contact me for permissions. Thank you.